Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat Podcast. We are solution architects and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we dive deep, demystify technology, and talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives in topics of interest. All right, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Shai Frenick, and this is episode 89 of the AWS Tech Chat Podcast. And for today's show, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Prasad and Arundam, to dig into containers once again. So welcome to the show, and please introduce yourself to the audience. Prasad, how about you go first? Hello, everyone. My name is Prasad Shadi, and I'm an AWS Solutions architect supporting our Northeast customers. And I'm really excited to be here today with Sai and Arindam. I have been at AWS for more than a year and a half now, and it's been an amazing journey. I have been helping our enterprise customers in their migration and modernization journey. And coming from a development background, it's really exciting to see how containers are being used extensively by customers in building advanced modern enterprise architecture. And I am happy to talk about it more today. Hi, everyone. I'm Arindam Chatterjee. I'm a senior solution architect for a small and medium-sized business segment in US. I'm really excited to be here with Shai and Prasad. I have been at AWS for little over two years, working with uh, different customers across USA and helping them in their modernization journey. Containerization has been the focal point of modernization for lots of these customers. AWS has been constantly inventing on behalf of our customers, and I'm super excited to be here and talking about various latest trends and innovations on containers today. Well, thank you both. I'm super excited to get into the show and get going with you. So listeners, if you remember in episode 82, uh, we dug into a lot of the container terminology, some of the foundations, and we talked about orchestration, we got into developer tooling, um, and we shared you know, sort of our getting started reading list. Um, but that was over a year ago, that's a long time. Um, and this space does move really fast. So Prasad, where are we gonna get started today? Sure, if we go back to episode 82, when you talked about containers and covered basic container terminology, along with how to set up the containers environment, you also covered orchestration, containers versus serverless, and then talked about container tools and running your containers in AWS. So, so let's start with a recap of what containers are and why organizations are moving to containers and how they are building on AWS. So let's jump right in. What are containers? Oh, thanks for that, Prasad. It really helps to hear your perspective. Um, so what and when do you use containers? Can you help me out there? Sure. Containers are a solution to the problem of how to get software to run reliably when moved from one computing environment to another. So this can, can be from a developer's laptop to a test environment, from a staging environment into a production, and perhaps from a physical machine in a data center or it can be a virtual machine in the AWS cloud. So a container consists of an entire runtime environment, uh, which includes an application plus all its dependencies, libraries, and other binaries, and along with the configuration file needed to run, run it. All bundled up into one package, but containerizing the application platform and its dependencies, differences in operating system distributions, and their underlying infrastructure are abstracted away. 
So if you see a single container might be used to run anything from a small microservice or software process to even a larger application. Compare that to a server or virtual machine approach. However, containers do not contain operating system images. So this makes them more lightweight and portable with significantly less overhead. So what containers offer is a logical packaging mechanism in which applications can be abstracted from the environment in which they actually run. And this decoupling allows container-based applications to be deployed easily and consistently, regardless of whether the target environment is a private data center, the public cloud, or even the developer's personal laptop. All right, so let me let me make sure I get this correct. So in other words, what you're saying is that in a, a, a container is an atomic, it's self-contained package of software that includes everything it needs to run. Is that correct? Yes, containerization provides a clean separation of concerns. So as developers focus on their application logic and dependencies, while you can have your IT operation teams focus on deployment and management without bothering with application details such as specific software version and even configurations specific to the application. All right, so my, so my background is in infrastructure and this is something I've, I've heard often, even in my, my current role. People sometimes confuse container technology with virtual machines or server virtualization technology. How would you differentiate that? Arendam, do you want to take this one? Sure. Um, although there are some basic similarities, containers are very different from virtual machines. Virtual machines run in hypervisor environment where each virtual machine must include its own guest operating system inside it, along with related binaries, libraries, and application files. This consumes a large amount of system resources and overhead, especially when multiple virtual machines are running on the same physical server, each with its own guest operating system. Virtual machines are a guest operating system such as a Linux or Windows that runs on top of a host operating system which virtualized access to the underlying hardware. Like virtual machines, containers allow you to package your application together with libraries and other dependencies, providing isolated environments for running your software services. However, the similarities end here add, as containers offer a far more lightweight unit for developers and IT operations team to work with carrying a range of benefits. So can you dig into this um, a little bit more for us? So where do containers actually reside and do they share anything with the actual host? Sure. Let's uh, dig a little deeper on this. Uh, yeah. Containers uh, sit on top of physical server and its host operating system, for example, Linux or Windows. Each container shares the host operating system kernel and usually the binaries and the libraries too. Shared components are read-only. Containers are thus exceptionally light. They're only megabytes in size and take just seconds to start versus gigabytes and minutes for a virtual machine. Containers also reduce management overhead because they share a common operating system only a single operating system needs care and feeding for bug fixes, 
batches and so on. This concept is similar to what we experience with hypervisor hosts, fewer management points, but slightly higher fault domain. In short, containers are lighter weight and more portable than virtual machines. Well, thank you both for that detail. That's a, that's a good foundation there. So help me out, Prasad and Arnim. Uh, how are customers using containers and what are some of the key features that you're hearing from our customers? Sure. We're looking into containers and we see containers are quickly becoming the default deployment option for new applications. In the past few years, we have seen an explosive growth of container adoption on AWS. And as per research done by a third party, Nuclear Research, 80% of all containerized applications running in the cloud run on AWS. So containers help enterprises to enhance their core competencies such as security, network connectivity, customer relationships, and end-to-end -end services. It enables the end-user organizations to optimize their application infrastructure resource utilization and even save operating costs. The adoption of application containers is growing as the number of organizations are deploying containers to help build, manage, and easily move applications across different environments. We have seen growth in the containers market and ecosystem is being driven by increasing enterprise interest to help application developers move faster, manage infrastructure more efficiently, and meet digital transformation goals. The promise of container technologies to increase developer speed, efficiency, and portability across hybrid infrastructure, as well as microservices, are all driving growth that we can see. Let me add a little bit here on what Prasad just uh, explained. Companies are becoming increasingly global and the products are completely digital. Cloud technologies, mobile, big data, social technologies have impacted application development, but the new digital disruptions are forcing changes even faster. This new normal means the application leaders must splice new digital DNA into their culture, processes, and technologies to transform into top performing organization. And with that, there is the need for rapid innovation. Microservices drive efficiency and align to more resilient code practice and enable developers to create application faster. This means businesses can create applications faster and become more responsive to the market demands. So all these factors are essentially driving container adoption at scale. So it, it seems like there's so much more here, right? The containers are really becoming the, the de facto go-to standard. Like that's what everybody's going to be using. But it's it's definitely not the only, only modern app architecture option, right? That's right, Shai. There is uh, no one right way to build your applications. We have some customers who go through the route of building serverless cloud native applications using non-container technologies, and some customers take the option of containers. Even with containers, there are multiple ways to build this using Amazon Elastic Container Service, ECS, EKS, Red Hat OpenShift, or VMware Tanzu. If you talk about the choices you got for data plane options, then those include server instances like EC2, 
or serverless options like AWS Fargate. In addition, you can use the operating system of your choice like Linux, Windows, or purpose-built operating system for containers like Bottle Rocket. To support these builds, there are infrastructure as code, IAC tools, software development kits, and packaging services like CloudFormation, Terraform, Pulumi, CDK, EKS Cuttle, uh, K8s for Kubernetes, and many more. All right, so, so that's good stuff there. But I want to kind of go back to my infrastructure background a bit. And some of the things that I've done kind of in the past in working with containers teams, you know, observability for an application is important, right? So is networking, so is storage, right? There's there's other pieces here. Can we dig into some of those? I want to hear your perspectives. Sure. Uh, there are multiple options available for observability, which include uh, things like file lens, container insights, Prometheus, Grafana, etc. From the networking and network security perspective, uh, you can obviously use the AWS security groups. You can use service mesh like app mesh, Istio, and also use encryption or secrets to kind of ensure that you're you know, secured from all perspective. Uh, from the storage options, there are options like you know, using CSI or the native ECS or Kubernetes integrations, etc. From the continuous integration and continuous deployment perspective, there are options like Reworks, Flux, Spinnaker, GitHub Actions, um, and, and many more. Also, if the customers want to have a hybrid environment, then there are options like using AWS Outposts or Mithril or Model Rocket. All right, cool, cool stuff there. It sounds like there's definitely a very mature ecosystem of so many tools and probably more and more tools uh, that are coming out, right? So awesome to hear all these names. Um, okay, so this one's for either one of you guys. So let's talk about some of the newer services um, and features in the containerization world. Can you tell us a little bit about AWS Proton? Um, you know, what is it and, and how are some of the customers that you work with day in and day out actually using and adopting it? Sure, Proton is a tool for automated infrastructure provisioning. It is a two-pronged automation framework. It helps centralized platform teams define infrastructure using library or infrastructure as code templates. The developers in the organization can then select the available service templates to automate their application or service deployments. This way, the developers can deploy their application with minimal set of parameters, and it also helps customers create standardized infrastructure the customer platform teams can use Proton to define and manage standard application stacks that contain the infrastructure resources and the continuous integration and continuous deployment scripts. The deployments integrated with the continuous integration and continuous deployment, when developers have to deploy their application, they can go to Proton self-service interface, select an appropriate template, point Proton to the code in Git, and Proton will automatically provision the resources, configure the CI-CD pipeline, and even finally deploy the code into the defined infrastructure. For example, many customers run web apps in Fargate and expose them using an application load balancer. With Proton, an infrastructure admin can create a template for running web apps in Fargate. Then the developer can select that template and build and run their app easily on the standardized infrastructure. 
Oh man, I, I can definitely hear the excitement there, right? So it sounds like there, there's something there, right? Either from your past experience or just working with other developers, right? That makes life so much easier for deploying your application. I, I really want to dig into that. You know, why you're so excited? Does, does it solve maybe one of the old pain points you have? Uh, maybe a pain point you work from your customer experience? Yes, definitely. I would like to share a customer experience where a customer had challenges maintaining thousands of microservices with continuous integration and continuous deployment configuration. And AWS Proton helped their platform team manage this complexity with a deployment workflow tool, which supported the full software development lifecycle of their modern applications. With Proton, the customer was able to create standard vetted template that became the basis for turnkey use by developers in order to meet their security, cost, and compliance goals. So this reduced the manual steps and the chance for human error. Arindam, I know you and I were chatting the other day on the recent AWS Carpenter growth in popularity. Can you share your perspective here with the show's listener on how is AWS Carpenter different from Kubernetes Autoscaler? Sure, I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, Carpenter is an open source, flexible, high performance Kubernetes cluster autoscaler built with AWS. It helps improve your application availability and cluster efficiency by rapidly launching right-sized compute resources in response to changing application load. Carpenter also provides just-in-time compute resources to meet your application's needs and will soon automatically optimize a cluster's compute resource footprint to reduce costs and improve performance. Okay, so Carpenter is new. Um, so what did the customer use uh, before it came out, right? And, and why are you so excited? Because I can hear that as well, right? There's clearly excitement in both, but I, I want to kind of dig into what some of the customers did beforehand. Sure, let me explain why I'm so excited about this along with the customers. So based on AWS customer feedback, nearly half of the Kubernetes customers on AWS reported that configuring cluster autoscaling using Kubernetes cluster autoscaler is challenging and restrictive. So when we are discussing Carpenter with them, they're very excited to understand that before Carpenter, their team needed to dynamically adjust the compute capacity of their Kubernetes cluster to support application using EC2 autoscaling group and Kubernetes cluster autoscaler. When Carpenter is installed in your Kubernetes cluster, Carpenter observes the aggregate resource request of the unscheduled pods and makes decisions to launch new nodes and terminate them to reduce scheduling latencies and infrastructure cost. The way Carpenter does this is by observing events within the Kubernetes cluster and then sending commands to the underlying cloud providers compute service such as EC2. Carpenter is a open source project license under Apache License 2.0. It is designed to work with any Kubernetes cluster running in any environment, including all major cloud providers and on-premises environments. We welcome contributions to build additional cloud providers 
or to improve core project functionality. All right, I, I want to keep us moving, but but I feel like there's more to Carpenter here. So please just go on. <laughs> yes, in fact, uh, we have now added a section around Carpenter in EKS best practices guide in the GitHub repo. We have also added a video that walks you through the Carpenter in great details in our containers from Couch YouTube video series. Artem, this is awesome stuff. So I definitely would love to go on and get my hands you know, dirty with Carpenter. Um, but before we go into anything else, can you tell us about some other exciting new uh, AWS releases in the container world? Um, and if you can, um, you know, please expand on these for our listeners on, on why you're excited about these things. Because I, I can hear that, but I can also hear the pain sometimes, maybe that it's solved for you and your customers. Uh, who wants to go first? I can you know start off yeah. because before yeah. we absolutely you know <laughs> before we go there uh shai uh, uh, we are, i also wanted to add that we have added a new module on carpenter in our eksworkshops.com website so please check that out all right I, I i try to cut you off on carpenter but but you went for that one so that's fine I'll, i promise <laughs> you i'll check that out um you know and I'll, and I'll work with my customers too to also make sure that they check it out as well so what else what else you got Sure. All right, then. Let's talk about a few new exciting features in EKS. Let's start off with uh, Amazon EKS now supporting DNS resolution of the cluster's private endpoint in AWS Golf Cloud US region, which is huge for our AWS Golf Cloud customer. Uh, this was one of the top requested feature from our customers who are using AWS Golf Cloud. Uh, Customers are excited about this new features because you can now resolve the private Kubernetes API server endpoint of your EKS cluster in Golf Cloud region. This allows you to easily connect to an EKS cluster that is only accessible within VPC, including when using services such as Direct Connect or VPC peering. Yeah, over here, I'd like to point one another very interesting feature release, which is around Amazon Elastic Kubernetes Service Anywhere. If you are not familiar with EKS Anywhere, it is relatively a new deployment option for Amazon EKS that allows customers to create and operate Kubernetes cluster on customer-managed infrastructure supported by AWS. So customers can now run Amazon EKS anywhere on their own on-premises infrastructure using VMware vSphere or with bare, with bare metal. We recently announced that Elastic uh, Kubernetes Service EKS Anywhere now allows you to enable Amazon curated software packages that extend the core functionalities of Kubernetes on your EKS Anywhere clusters. So with curated package management, you can install your Harbor package as a local container registry or add emissary ingress and support the service type load balancing through MetaLB load balancer. So more curated packages may be added over time based on customer demands, but uh, definitely we are looking forward towards it. Before we, Prasad, before we dive into the next new feature, I just want to add on to what you already mentioned. Um, EKS Any, Anywhere recently announced its availability on bare metal, which gives customers broader choice of infrastructure for running Kubernetes on-premises. 
and customers are super excited as this was the top requested feature in our EKS Any, Anywhere GitHub repo. The last one I want to mention is the fact that we recently announced that EKS now allows you to see all standard Kubernetes API resource type running on your Amazon EKS cluster using AWS Management Console. This makes it easy to visualize and troubleshoot your Kubernetes application using Amazon EKS. Before this recent launch, Amazon EKS Console only supported viewing workload-specific resources, such as deployments, jobs, and daemon sets running in your cluster. You needed to install and run additional tools to view, understand, and troubleshoot any other Kubernetes resource type. This is indeed very exciting new feature for which uh, we are getting a lot of positive feedbacks from our customers. All right. So what do you think uh, should be sort of the next steps, you know, some of our customers should go ahead and do? What do you guys think? Uh, I can go first. Like apart from AWS documentation, I would definitely suggest to go through a few invaluable resources, which I've briefly mentioned before, as far as EKS is concerned. Uh, number one, I would like to mention the EKS workshop, uh, which has uh, different hands-on labs with detailed instruction. We are constantly working on customers' feedback and looking at industry trends, AWS partner products, and we keep adding modules based on those feedbacks. So, um, Arnon, I want to go real quick. I want to pause on the workshop. What What's some of the feedback that you've heard from customers that have gone through that workshop? So some of the feedbacks that we got, and that's why we kind of keep, you know, you know, we keep adding modules. One of the definitely one of the biggest feedback was when you launch a new feature like, say, Carpenter, uh, we we need to see how it works or we need to get our hands dirty to actually work on it. So now what we're doing is we are constantly, when we are releasing a new feature, uh, especially on the EKS side, we are trying to tie it up with release of a new module on the EKS workshop so that the customers can get their hands dirty on any new features that we are releasing. Yeah, and over here, last but not the least, is uh, what I need to add over here is containers from the Couch YouTube channel. Uh, which has container live stream and videos featuring AWS container services and even demos. And over there, we do focus on demos and teaching people how to use different container technologies, be it ECS, um, uh, Kubernetes, EKS Kubernetes, Cloud Native, and lots of open source tools and uh, tips what you can find over there. Okay, so, so Artem, I mean, what about best practices? What do you guys think, right? I know that's an important thing. You know, when we talk to many developers, we get many talk to many people starting in containers. They always ask, you know, what are some of the best practices I should follow? Do Do you guys have? Uh, is there a good resource that you can recommend? I'm glad that you asked. Yes, so we do have our EKS best practices project, which is maintained in GitHub. The primary goal of this project is to offer a set of best practices for day two operations for Amazon EKS. We elected to publish this guidance to GitHub so we could iterate quickly, provide timely and effective recommendations for a variety of concerns, and easily incorporate suggestions from a broader community. All right, now, now I'm going to put you both on the spot here. What's, what's your favorite best practice that you think every customer should follow? I will pick the security best practices. Yeah, 
Yeah, I would go with the network uh, best practices as well because we have seen a lot of customers uh, have the network configuration. Uh, but I would say like uh, go with the network best practices and uh, definitely like the scaling part as well. So we do have some best practices around uh, the carpenter and the auto scaler, what we discussed previously. So uh, yeah, definitely go with uh, those best practices and even use spot instances where required or go serverless using uh, AWS Fargate. Arden, can you dig into the security a bit more? Is that an area that you see a lot of customers struggling with when it comes to containers? Yes, uh, we do see a lot of security related questions as far as running containerized workload, uh, especially for some of our customers who have uh, stringent security requirement, including some of them coming back to us asking for uh, PCI DSS compliance or HIPAA compliance while running their containerized workload. So uh, what we are also doing along with the best practices, we are working with the services team and other um, you know, from different parts of AWS. We are publishing a lot of blogs and white papers along with some hands-on lab to basically help customers, you know, go through that journey along with the EKS best practices guide. Uh, Arna, you know, thank you so much for that. Um, what would you say the the top of mind thing is when it, when it comes to security? What's that top of mind thing for some of your customers? Sure. Let's uh, talk a bit more on the security best practices in terms of uh, running EKS on AWS. Um, at a high level, you need to take care of you know the following things uh, like number one, uh, identity and access management, which includes your AWS uh, IAM roles, uh, Kubernetes role-based access control. Uh, you also have to be mindful about your pod security. Uh, really popular amongst our customer are OPA gatekeeper and Kiverno policies as uh, pod security policies or PSPs, uh, which was very, very popular, are not going to be supported with Kubernetes pretty soon. Uh, in other areas that, you know, we kind of, you know, always recommend our customer to, you know, look at is from the network hardening aspect. Uh, customers are using network policies like Calico, AWS Security Group and networking and cryptographic library encryption to achieve the network hardening from the security perspective. Okay, so that covers the networking side. Um, we still have, you know, host storage, a whole bunch of other things. So let's let's start with really the hosted imaging hardening. What would you suggest there? Sure, I'm glad that you brought it up because you should consider using the container image as your first line of defense against an attack. So using minimal container images, scanning images for vulnerabilities regularly is definitely recommended. From the host perspective, we highly recommend to use a container-optimized operating system like AWS Bottle Rocket, uh, and this is getting increasingly popular amongst customer who uh, who has some security, you know, uh, requirement for their workloads that they're running on Amazon. All right, so I have two questions in my head: one about event logging and monitoring. But before we do that, I want to go back to what you said about scanning images uh, for vulnerability. You said regularly. What is, you know, best practice, right? How often should we be scanning for images uh, when it comes to containers and, and any best practices to sort of automate that and make it more efficient? Sure. If you're using uh, one of our own uh, repository like ECR, which has a inbuilt vulnerability scanner, you can, uh, you know, at, at least, at least uh, you know, enable 
vulnerability scanning on push. So every time you push a new image, you ensure that you basically do the scanning of the images. So that's definitely uh, recommended. So that's the whole thing about shifting left, right? And pushing the security more to the left side, right? We're, we're earlier in the development process. So it's just part of the normal development process. It's not necessarily something that you do as a post thing in sort of an afterthought, right? That is correct. Cool. Well, thank you very much. You know, I, I really do. You know, coming back from my security background, I, I do really appreciate hearing the developer side of that story and hearing that uh, perspective. It sounds like after many years, we're finally coming together. Um, well, so let, let's get into the next question, which is around event logging and monitoring. Um, what about that, right? What, what are we doing there and what do you, what do you see customers doing? Yeah, um, so, you know, there are a lot of things that you can do, uh, but, you know, at the least, what we definitely recommend is to enable the EKS cluster audit logging because that will give you the visibility. Um, there is also uh, specific to Kubernetes, like some auditing metadata annotations, uh, which will have the authorization history tracking. Uh, you should create alarms for any suspicious events. There are a lot of, you know, tools uh, like Inspector and other stuff in Amazon. Also, we have a lot of partner products that you can take advantage of. Um, you should also analyze the logs with, uh, you know, something like Amazon CloudWatch Log Insights. Uh, and, uh, you know, very, very important is to audit your AWS CloudTrail logs. All right. So, so audience, you know, please remember, I don't think that this is an exhaustive list, right? There's so many other best practices you can follow, right? We talked about before the best practice guide is on, is on GitHub, right? Follow the documentation, um, right? And, and any, any other guidance you want to give them? No, I mean, as, I, as, as you correctly mentioned, right, you know, these are not exhaustive list. It depends on your security posture, on your uh, requirement, whether it's a PCI or some other compliance requirement, which will have its own nuances. So we highly recommend you to check out our best practices, check out the white papers and blogs that we, you know, we are releasing and updating as you know, things change in the security world. So please keep referencing to the latest and the greatest. Cool. Thank, thank you very much. All right. So that, that covers security. I think we did a pretty good job digging into that one. Um, Prasad, I, I, I recall when we were talking before, when you gave your intro, uh, you, you'd always talk to me about your migration experience, right? And you'd always talked about you working with customers in migrations and some of the challenges you've seen them face, right? And, and how they've overcome some of those challenges. Can you share some of those stories with us um, that you've experienced in your migration journey? Sure, Sai. And I think like uh, some of the common challenges what uh, we have seen in the migration journey, uh, specifically with the enterprise customers, um, has been around uh, having a mix of heterogeneous systems. Uh, when you talk about enterprises, right, so they do have uh, legacy systems, uh, which may be uh, not the same as uh, the modern day architecture systems or the services what we have. So bringing up a single Kubernetes cluster on a homogeneous infrastructure is relatively very easy with the current solutions out there. But when you talk about diverse infrastructures using different servers, storage, and networking vendors, uh, so this situation becomes a bit complex and a bit challenging where you have to do the automated infrastructure deployment, setting up the configuration, and upgrading Kubernetes to work consistently across the different environments. So this is one of the challenge, most common challenge what I've seen with uh, the customers uh, during the migration journey. And with the Kubernetes support for heterogeneous clusters, where you can have a mixture of Linux and Windows nodes in the same cluster. So this really helps 
so so like uh, we have a lot of customers who have the traditional legacy application which may not run in a .NET Core environment, and they would still need to have this mix of uh, clusters with the Windows and Linux, which is now possible. And uh, we do also have a tool which is called AWS App to Container. And I've seen this increasingly very helpful across all the customers because it's a command line tool for migrating and modernizing the Java and .NET web applications in a container format. So what app, app to container uh, tool does it, it is it analyzes and builds an inventory of all applications running in bare metal virtual machines or the amazon ec2 instances or uh, in whatever cloud you have and you can simply select the application you want to containerize and a to c will package the application artifacts and dependencies into container images and it will also configure the network port and generate the necessary Amazon ECS and Amazon EKS deployment artifacts. So with this tool, I've seen a lot of customers use it and make their migration journey as easy as uh, clicking a button, uh, converting their uh, application into an images and then deploying it into the heterogeneous cluster of Windows and Linux workers. So there are a few limitations. It does come uh, with a few limitations that you need to decide. So there are some fa factors around placement, scheduling, and network considerations. But we do have uh, some best practices around it. And uh, uh, we did share the best practices earlier, right? So we do have a GitHub repo, which talks about the best practices for the limitations, what needs to be decided before you go into an heterogeneous uh, cluster environment. Prasad, thank you for all that. I, you mentioned scheduling there, right? As one of the, the best practices that's really important to think about when you have a heterogeneous expansion uh, environment. Can we dig into scheduling a bit more? What are some of the sure. best practices? Sure, definitely. So when you talk about uh, scheduling, right? So there is a bit of a burden when it comes to scheduling workloads in Windows nodes. So it is no different than scheduling workloads to run on specific instances in homogeneous Linux only clusters. So you need to use chains and node selectors and uh, you need to have a combination with toleration, uh, tolerations as well. So in order to keep Linux and work, uh, Windows worker nodes on their respective OS specific uh, nodes, so you need to have uh, the chains, the node selectors and the tolerations in place. Okay, so uh, Artem, I think as, as I jumped in there, I think I saw you jump in as well. Is there anything you wanted to elaborate on that Prasad was talking about? Uh, I mean, in general, what I'd like to add, I think it is it, it should be a fitting uh, uh, thing to add today because we talked about so many things, right? I mean, container itself is so vast. The ecosystem is growing every day. But if we talk about Kubernetes and EKS, I think one exciting thing I'd, I'd like to share with the customers to get started on EKS is uh, something called EKS Blueprints which basically helps you to compose a complete EKS cluster that are fully bootstrapped with operational software that is needed to deploy and operate the workload. So starting from your you know, desired open source add-ons uh, to some of the security controls, some of the you know, add-ons that we talked about, which will help in your migration, et cetera, everything is already bootstrapped in your environment. Uh, you know, 
So once a blueprint is configured, you can actually use it to stamp out a consistent environment across multiple AWS accounts and region using a continuous uh, deployment automation. All right, thank, thank you for having me on. Uh, Prasad, was there anything else you wanted to add here? I'll wrap it up. Yeah, I think like uh, uh, we did talk about the best practices, so we do have resources. So I just wanted to talk about it and have our listeners go to the best practices resources on uh, even the Windows containers. And Aridham did touch upon the networking part as well. And uh, one of the things I wanted to add is uh, scanning of these images. Uh, Arindam did talk about the Amazon Elastic Container Registry. Uh, which is only able to scan uh, Linux container images for vulnerabilities. Uh, so, however, there are third-party tools which can be integrated with an existing CI/CD pipeline for Windows container image scanning as well. So, some of those are Palo Alto, Prisma Cloud, Trend Micro, uh, and Anchor. So, these are some of the third-party uh, tools which can be used for the Windows scanning as well. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you guys for jumping into that and digging into some of those best practices. I, I appreciate that detail. Um, I think our listeners will certainly appreciate it as well. So listeners, please do, you know, do go to GitHub, read that, that best practice guide. There's probably a lot of things in there that are very important to understand. Um, take your time going through it. And then also please contribute back to some of the GitHub libraries as well, right? So we want, we want to hear that feedback from the community. All right. So thank you both for sharing all these things. I, I think that's going to bring us to the end. Uh, we covered, let's see, we covered container basics when we started. We went in containers, you know, versus virtual machines, and, and the benefits of them, and you know their ability to um, not have to run the OS and just being a lighter weight environment, right? And then we talked about you know different use cases, um, how customers are using containers as well. We also covered the different orchestration options for building modern applications, and even talked about various tools that could be used. Uh, we also covered use cases for automated infrastructure provisioning and integrating with continuous integration and continuous deployment. And uh, finally, we covered Carpenter and few new feature releases in container spaces. And we also touched base on uh, how the customers are excited for the new announcement on EKS Anywhere being supported on bare metal. Finally, we shared some resources for learning sessions on containers. All right. Thank you both. So listeners, if you want to dig into a specific area of containers um, in a follow-up show, please do drop us a line. Please share any comments or suggestions for future episodes. Uh, we're going to share some of the useful links uh, that we've talked about today in the show notes um, around those topics. Um, it was a wonderful discussion, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, really enjoyed having you both on the show. Any final words before we uh, wrap it up for the audience? Thank you, Sai. And uh, yeah, we would be looking forward. So if the listeners are interested, uh, we'll have a follow-up call uh, on more deeper topics on containers, and uh, we can talk more about it to the listeners as well. Thanks for having us, Sai, and thanks, everyone. Thank you for having us. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to the AWS Tech Chat by visiting awstechchat.com.